It's Tuesday, the 18th of February, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, France warns of tense times ahead as Britain and the EU face off in trade talks. The comment was made in the context of saying this is often what happens in trade negotiations. You know, both sides have quite clear interests they want to advance and achieve, and often they're not mutually compatible. So tearing apart is probably a, a decent way of putting it, I think. Plus, Toronto's new transit plan and the end of the line for an iconic Australian car brand. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. France's foreign ministry is using some rather colourful language in its descriptions of tensions between Britain and the European Union, saying that we should expect the two sides to rip each other apart as they fight for an advantage in trade talks. Bloomberg's Brexit reporter Joe Mays explains. These remarks made at the Munich Security Conference and the comment was, yes, that they expect that both sides will rip each other apart in these trade talks because each side will be seeking their advantage. And the comment was made in the context of saying this is often what happens in trade negotiations. You know, both sides have quite clear interests. They want to advance and achieve and often they're not mutually compatible. So tearing apart is probably a, a decent way of putting it, I think. I think it's because the UK has been quite clear about what it wants from Brexit now in terms of saying we're leaving the single market, we're leaving the customs union. So the UK's opening stance basically precludes a lot of areas in which there might have been cooperation and uh, and so on. So I think a hardened stance from the UK and the EU is pointing out, well, if that's your stance, we have our interests which we want to protect and therefore we're going to really clash here. And I think it will take a backing down from those red lines by either side to, 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 to see deals done here. So who will lose face? That's something to watch. So I think for the European side, it's a issue of significant political sensitivity. So many of the coastal states, for example, France, have fishing communities that have for many, many years been able to fish extensively in UK waters, and it's their livelihoods. These are these are areas that would really suffer if that fishing access wasn't maintained. So you can see why the EU wants to make that a priority. And on the UK side, it's also got a very kind of deep cultural historical significance for communities that felt they were abandoned and let down by the UK when it joined the European community, and fishing was basically sacrificed in order to achieve benefits for, say, financial services. So there's a historic injustice that the UK coastal communities want to rectify. So you can see why it's quite a charged emotional issue for both sides. Joe Mays at Bloomberg, thank you. Remember the trade war between the United States and China? Well, there are now signs that the US may be backing away from the conflict. Paul Krugman is the sole recipient of the Nobel Memorial Prize in Economic Sciences for his work on international trade theory. He's also the author or editor of 27 books and a columnist for the New York Times. Here he is talking about the trade tensions and the wider political machinations of the Republican Party under President Trump. There is not a powerful protectionist constituency in the U.S. Business doesn't want it. Labor is actually not especially into the trade war in any way. Labor doesn't have any influence with this administration. This is really a personal obsession of Donald Trump. And it's a quirk of U.S. trade law that for historical reasons that made sense at the time, the president has vast discretionary power to set tariffs. And that was always envisaged as the president standing as the bulwark against special interests in Congress. And under Trump, it's turned into the reverse. It's turned into a, a president who has a protection as being his bonnet going out there and doing a trade war. But there's really nobody behind him. There's no large block in Congress that wants this. And so it's really just him and it looks to me, and we don't know for sure, but it looks to me like he's in the process of declaring victory and surrendering. 
that he's basically backing down without admitting that he's doing so. What's been done so far is a little bit damaging and certainly created a lot of uncertainty, which did more damage than the actual tariffs themselves. But if we look at what appears to be the deal with China, the United States hasn't actually gotten any of the things that it was demanding. We've just gotten the Chinese to buy some more soybeans, which is not such a big deal. Uh, U.S. conservatism, I think more so, there are bits of it elsewhere, but to think of, well, there's a Republican Party and that that is conservatism or that some piece of it is missing the the reality that there is, in fact, a, a much larger structure. It is the Republican Party It's the Murdoch media. It's a whole network of think tanks, or maybe that should be think and scare quotes because they're really just propaganda outlets, lobbying organizations, which tend to move in concert, which are largely funded by the same people. It really is a a relative handful of billionaires that that keep the whole thing going and that exerts a, creates a party line. There really is a a single-mindedness and also a single-minded denial of facts that permeates the whole process. People have been marveling in U.S. politics at the fact that even retiring Republican senators have been refusing to condemn Trump. Um, And to understand that, you have to understand that this is a a whole universe in which they live, that that their subsequent career as a lobbyist or as a with a position at a think tank or even just hanging out with their buddies at the golf course uh, requires that they continue to be loyal adherents to movement conservatism. So this is a, I mean, you know, people made funny of Hillary Clinton for talking about a vast right-wing conspiracy, uh, but it's really, it exists. It's, it's not even particularly hidden. It's right out there in the open. Paul Krugman's new book is called Arguing with Zombies, Economics, Politics, and the Fight for a Better Future. And you can hear that full 30-minute discussion on the next edition of Meet the Writers this Sunday. To Toronto now, where a new plan to improve public transit is ready for takeoff. Toronto's City Hall and the Ontario government have a rough history. Conservative Premier Doug Ford and now Independent Mayor John Tory have often clashed. The duo squared off in Toronto's 2014 mayoral race, when Ford famously said he would wrap his teeth around a certain part of Tory's anatomy. And they sparred again four years later during Tory's re-election campaign. Yet their unlikely collaboration has now yielded a transit plan worth about 30 billion Canadian dollars that greenlights the expansion of the city's subway system. Key to their improved relationship and stronger ties between city and state has been the pair's frequent one-on-one off-the-record chats. Tory says that the pair regularly get together without a formal agenda. It's a tool that politicians have previously used to work past their differences and one that others would be wise to revisit. Finally today, General Motors has announced the demise of the iconic Australian car brand, Holden. Monocle's Andrew Muller explains why the decision will be deeply felt by those far beyond the production lines. Australia, what's your favourite sport? Football. Snack. Ice. Animal. Kangaroo. And what's your favourite car, Australia? Holden! Let me see if that's football. Few garages outside Australia ever housed a Holden car. In Australia, it is difficult to overstate the bewilderment that this week's formal demise of the Holden car will occasion. We love football meat pies, kangaroos and Holden cars, football meat pies, kangaroos and Holden cars.
Holden's long-standing American partner, General Motors, has announced that the Mark will be wound up by 2021. Holden is no ordinary brand. The Holden FX of 1948 was the first properly Australian-built car. Holden sold itself subsequently as the automotive embodiment of the nation. A 1970s Holden jingle confidently boiled the fundamentals of Australian iconography down to football, meat pies, kangaroos and Holden cars. When a 1980s sitcom satirised Australian suburbia, it was named after the then-ubiquitous Holden sedan, Kingswood country. Yeah, sure, Dad. See ya. Where are you going? I'm going up to a rainforest for a demonstration. You're not taking a Kingswood? I just glad wrapped the aerial. Holden's eternal contest with the local iteration of Ford was a genuine schism which descended through families. The rivalry still underpins Australia's premier motorsport competition, the Supercars Championship. That rift notwithstanding, it is hard to imagine that there is a single Australian alive who has not ridden in a Tirana, Commodore, Monaro or Kingswood and who will not be recalling it wistfully right now. Makes sense to me! My thanks to Andrew Muller. Elsewhere on today's agenda, there are signs of trouble in Japan's economy following a controversial consumption tax rise in October. New figures show the economy shrank at the fastest rate for nearly six years in the last quarter of 2019. Adding to worries are predictions that Japan could lose the equivalent of 1.29 billion US dollars in tourism revenue between January and March, largely due to cancellations by Chinese visitors. And France's health minister, Agnès Buzyn, is to run for mayor of Paris. French President Emmanuel Macron was forced to quickly tap a new centrist contender for the post after his first choice, Benjamin Griveaux, became mired in a sex video scandal last week. Elections are due to take place on the 15th of March. Read more about today's stories by subscribing to our daily email bulletin at our website. I'm Ben Ryland. Monocle Minute returns on Wednesday.